0: Dublin. Welcome to the Quarantine Tapes, a daily podcast from Onassis LA and Dublin. Hosted by Paul Holdengraber, this series chronicles shifting paradigms in the era of social distancing.
1: Hello. Could I please speak with Lynette Walworth? <laughs> yes, Paul, well, it's me. How wonderful. Lynette, it's such a pleasure to have you on the phone. I think it's always very good to begin a conversation with a laugh, even if that laughter comes through in a in a dark moment, in a difficult moment, in a challenging moment, in a delirious moment, but yet a moment. <laughs> And a moment where exactly, as you're doing now, uh, we need to laugh. I always, I always think of uh, of um, uh, Saul Bellow, who said that we don't love because, but in spite. And in some way, now we need to we need to confront this moment. You're now on mm. on a on a um, on a podcast we're creating together with Dublab called the Quarantine Tapes, and I'm taking mm. the temperature from people who i think um we need to hear from perhaps to offer Mm -hmm. us some comfort perhaps to offer some solace but more importantly to keep a diary of these days so Mm -hmm. what what are you up to where where does this call first of all find you and what am i interrupting
0: well i'm in a little apartment in sydney and um uh, I'm here on my own. I have the, the only other living thing in the apartment with me is a plant that I bought two days ago, So no, which has lovely flowers. Mm-hmm. I needed something alive and colourful. Paul, it's a it's a long hours of uh, it's long hours of being on your own. I must. Day. and i'm very used to being on my yeah,
1: own i was just about to say um lynette you you have spent a fair amount of time on your own traveling for sure but also mm. going to remote places we'll get to that in a moment um mm. uh, being on your own how how is this this moment of being in extreme isolation as it were and spending all that time alone different and is it challenging in a new way
0: yeah, and it is and it's surprising me because, of course, I love being alone and so much of my work, the thinking about it requires me being alone. I think it's the enforced isolation, um, it, that this is not by choice and that we're all disconnected from one another. So um, I'm feeling that much more intensely, I guess, I'm used to the small connections, the small and everyday connections, and I perhaps have underestimated how valuable they are to me. Just the routine of a day, the the people you say hello to casually, but those little connections are meaningful to us all, and now they're gone from my life.
1: So, um, so you were so, saying your your work requires you being alone. I'd like mm-hmm. you to expand on that because for our listeners, um, I think by by responding to that question, we will also get to what your your life's work has been.
0: Mm, well, I so I you know I create artworks all in different forms, but but the, but the, all the artworks begin with a. a Uh, a period of contemplation, I would say, where I'm imagining something that I haven't made yet, that I have to bring into existence. Like Well, most recently, as you know, I've been making these virtual reality pieces. Yeah,
1: tell us Um, about that.
0: So, well, the first one uh, from a few years ago now um, was with a remote uh, Indigenous community in Western Australia I, I'd been traveling to their homeland and I heard a very powerful story um, from one of the elders and he wanted to share this story. He'd been holding on to it. Like, um, he'd been holding on to it as though it was a, a kind of a family member who was waiting for the time when he would release it into the world. And um, And I felt that the most appropriate form for this with this story to share it was using a new technology which was then virtual reality 360 um, video so I had to imagine how to translate something that's incredibly precious to someone into this new technology so um, a lot of the time in the beginnings of the work I'm spending in my own mind I'm spending in a kind of state of the imagination than trying to think this thing up before i even begin to create it
1: you you were saying uh, be- before that this moment of enforced isolation has made you realize perhaps how important the the daily connections are and in in a yes. way um it's a way of saying that it's a way of rediscovering what we what we really need and perhaps what we really miss. And as you know, I'm I'm constantly quoting people. And there's a wonderful 17th century French aphorist named uh, La Rochefoucauld who said, "There are few things we should keenly desire if we really knew what we wanted." Yeah. And I'm wondering how yeah. that, I'm wondering how that resonates with you. I I feel it might.
0: I feel it does. It, it reminds you know this time Paul has reminded me in slow motion of a sensation that I saw unfolding. I was in London uh, during those bombings that mm-hmm. you know took so yeah. many lives, um, and and what I saw then and noticed most clearly, and I thought about it a lot in this moment is that in that very swift unfolding of an emergency what i watched happen in london was everyone's thoughts flew in split second, and by sheer instinct to the person or persons who mattered most to them in the world so like that animal instinct in that moment when you hear something terrible is happening that you can't control where your thoughts fly, And people's thoughts flew to the person who mattered most. And sometimes that person was a surprise to them. And I witnessed and heard some incredible stories in the days that followed that sort of swift unfolding, where people realized that their attachment to someone was far greater than they had known. And I think that that's what this slow-motion emergency state that we're in uh, has meant to me in some way, that it's activated a sense in me of my need for connection to the few people who are the constant touchstones in my life. It's made that so much clearer. Though I might live that more subterranean because I spend so much time alone, but it's accentuated that
1: need and and that aloneness is very different as you said when it when it is enforced and when it is enforced not not really by choice but by necessity by a pandemic and in in a way what i hear you saying also is that this moment is ripe um with the possibility of change for the good for the bad but it is a big experiment and hearing your speech again which i cannot recommend enough to all of our listeners around the planet the speech the six minute speech you gave at davos i remember when you were preparing it and it was absolutely extraordinary and i want you to talk about it but there was one Mm. line where you said this world has already changed, and that was mm. in 2020 in January of this year, what did mm. you mean, and in a way, this world has already changed, mm. was prophetic in some ways, in, in ways that you couldn't imagine, of course.
0: Yeah, it's true, I, so I traveled to to the World Economic Forum in mean, Davos in January, and already this Virus, as we know, was moving, was beginning to move, and but I was coming, you know, with this, having lived through this sort of horror summer that we had here in in Australia the fires. Of these astounding and shocking fires, and and where we saw the thing that we had all been warned of was unfolding around us, and for me. I really did feel that I needed to go to Davos and speak in some way as a prophet would speak, coming from the front line of that emergency and say, this is already changed. The world has already changed. And I I said, we have seen here in my homeland the unfolding wings of climate change. And that is how it felt to us here, that every day... Something was moving across our country that we had never experienced before, that we should have been prepared for and that now was rising up in front of us um, and we could not stop it. And you're right about the connection between that thinking and this moment.
1: Tell tell me, tell me, I really want you to delve deep into that, into that, that moment, this moment, the connection between this moment and the urgency to address climate change.
0: Well, the thing that I thought that was so powerful and in some way helpful, even with the tragedy of those fires, is that climate change felt like an emergency for the first time. And the benefit of something feeling like an emergency, which is what we are in now, is that we see the capacity that we have to change. We, we see our capacity to shift gears and to move into this urgent state. And what I thought when I was standing on that stage in Davos in January was that if we could see climate change as an emergency we would marshal the forces the will and the determination to make the sorts of decisions that we know we have to make
1: now that we can make and that we can make and that we can make and And there is a possibility i mean in other words governments can um make decisions that will improve uh, the, the the climate actually one of it, the most interesting things is this this arrest this house arrest we're under has shown yes. us that nature can be revivified in, yes. in los angeles where i find myself i'm looking at a sky that looks very different but anyway yes. i interrupted you
0: Please. no it's true paul I, I mean so my thinking was i need to come and speak as though i'm standing at the forefront of an emergency and and because if we can shift and actually strangely in my mind then was the thought of that if we could move into almost the sort of mentality that the world has had to go into when it's fighting a battle a war where everything is then directed towards that effort where people devote their pots and pans that would, they would use for every day, because something needs to be given in order for this for this battle to be fought. If we could shift into that mode, then we could make the leap that we know we need to make in order to save our planet from climate catastrophe. And at the same time, I knew that we we or all the science is telling us this is the pivotal decade. So for me to return, to return from from the impact and the reverberation of making that speech to a room full of world leaders and heads of the world's largest industry. And then to come a few short months later to what is now a global unfolding emergency and see what we have the capacity to do when we accept it's an emergency. I place those two things side by side. And and there is, in my mind, there is an enormous element of hope in it because we see, one, how connected we are, which is what climate has been trying to tell us.
1: But and we, but, two, we didn't, but we didn't listen.
0: No, and we haven't listened for 30 years. For 30 years we've been, been hearing this same thing, but we have been unable to act. But, and and you said, I I, but I to... think now it's so wonderful to see what governments, as you say, can do, and what a community will um will marshal itself in order to accept if we if we say yeah this this is our our emergency and and. And this
1: is our response to it. Um, you know, it's as if you 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 are saying that we we have been brought to a pause at a crucial mm-hmm. moment. Or differently put, um, this pandemic. I mean, one, one can't say that in good conscience. But I'll say it in in a way that I I hope won't be misheard. It's as if mm-hmm. this pandemic is giving us an occasion mm-hmm. to reflect.
0: Uh, it's
1: I, the name. I, a pause yeah. a pause where we will we will think about what can we as individuals do and what can governments do and 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 you know yeah. on the one hand there's an erosion of of rights on the other hand which which is interesting i think particularly given the nature of your work working with technology knowing that those very tools that are helping us now communicate are also controlled by huge corporations that are, mm. are, are getting now all of our information uh, you know mm. are, 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 are probably going to control us in the future in ways that are that are very detrimental to our privacy mm. but also there is a possibility of change there's an it, there's a possibility of change for the good, or perhaps for the less good, and I'm wondering how how yeah. you might respond to all of this. I know I'm I'm bunching together 470 different things.
0: No, you you're right, you, you, and and you have said that, and I do think I do think that is the opportunity and the challenge of this moment of stillness, and and where you say pause, that is exactly what I have felt as well. Without our asking for it or being in control of it, we have been brought to a moment of stillness, as though the incredible speed at which we're continually revolving on this planet and and our continual forward momentum has been stopped. And because I'm a person who believes in the power of contemplation and actually lives a large part of my life, trying to find those moments of stillness because in the moment of stillness lies the capacity to imagine something new. That's exactly why I live for that state and now we have a world that's been brought to a moment of stillness and in that stillness what I want to ask is where should our trajectory be when we begin again? And I don't want to return to the same. I don't want I don't want to return to this fast moving drive towards continual economic growth. What do you As want the, to move
1: what do you want to move for, back to?
0: Forsaking our values. You know, I think that's why we are where we are now. I want to uphold the values, um, that we find in these moments of stillness, the very things that you and I started talking about, um, the feelings that have emerged, the the things that we find that we love and care about that have risen to the forefront because everything has been taken from us in this moment. That's about what you value. And we know we value those essential things um, uh, that nature gets to thrive that our air is clean and our water is clean and we have a sense of freedom in our lives. And I think, you know, there's been times of crucial, uh, dire change that the world has encountered before and that have led to moments of new beginnings and like the New Deal in America. And right now, I would hope that my government is not just wanting to press the buttons on the same old reset. Given that we are in a crucial decade around climate, I would hope that we could use the pause to set things in motion, which are the very things we know we're going to need to sustain both our economy and our planet.
1: You know, you you mentioned before, Lynette, that you you work um, with technology. You you create works of mm. art that are immersive in nature that uh, use virtual reality, which is also uh, an isolating uh, uh, technology in some way, but you are trying both to subvert it and in a way give a proximity uh, through your work. Mm -hmm. And I'm I'm reminded of a, a wonderful statement by the Swiss writer Max Frisch, who said technology is a way of organizing the universe so that people don't have to experience it. And it's it's powerful. There is a way mm-hmm. in which technology can remove us from mm-hmm. experiencing the world, and yet, mm-hmm. and yet, um, in in so many ways, now people are communicating through uh, through these mediums. And I'm I'm mm-hmm. just I'm just wondering how all this sits with you, and what mm-hmm. you, and and what you what what you think about when you think about using technology in a, in a perhaps more enlightened way
0: you know i i have a, I have been fortunate to develop my work as you know in um it, you know at the invitation of remote indigenous communities and those communities have a way of perceiving a reality that is often different to the way that, that that I might be perceiving reality. And they're using, the invitation comes because they see the possibility of using the technology to show that different way of seeing. Mm. And for me, that's um, extremely beneficial. I hope, you know, I would hope that the technology can open us to um, the multiverse that we are in as and the multiple ways that uh, people are living their lives rather than funneling us all towards one way of seeing and that's that's really my hope Um, and I think that that's beneficial uh, if it can connect us to different ways of being you know in some ways I I, I dis I dislike I just before before I just dislike the, the 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 you know the one perspective the dominant perspective I I will do everything probably till my dying days as an artist to to keep trying to show that there are many that we live in a multi-faceted world where where we hold one viewpoint which is we, we, we're raised up in a culture. We have a perspective. We, we are immersed in a particular worldview, but it's actually only one worldview. And, uh, and so I, what I love about the technology is that it can connect disparate and diverse people together. And so the moments that are happening now where people are remaining connected to their families through the technology, it's so beneficial right, to keep people right.
1: feeling it's, close. it's beneficial yeah. on the other hand, you know it's also is interesting to my mind that so many people are now together all the time and are getting on each other's nerves they they, yeah. they you know they 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 don't know uh, they don't know how to how to interact in those ways, which I can well understand, uh, as I've said before on this very show, you know it'll be interesting to see how many marriages survive. It will be interesting yeah. to see how many children are born in nine months' time. Um, yeah. All of that will, I, I think, it, we, we, it. and in that way, uh, when the history of this moment is written, it will be interesting to see what comes out of it. I want to shift slightly to something that matters to me because I want our listeners to know the depths of your work. You've You've worked a lot with indigenous people in the Amazon, um, if you could say something about that but also are you in touch with them at this moment mm-hmm. and, and, are mm-hmm. they, and are they affected
0: mm-hmm. well, yes yeah, so I um, I made a work, a virtual reality experience which is the story of Hushahu the first woman shaman from uh, the Yawanawa tribe in Acre in the Brazilian Amazon and, and that was because the Chief of that tribe had seen uh, w- w- my earlier virtual reality work and said, oh, oh, no, we can use this. This is a technology, exactly as I was trying to explain before, that, that, that can help us show um, the world as we experience it and, and in their vision state. really. That was part of the um, really the challenge of the work. And so I travelled to the Amazon with a team and with we filmed this story using the technology and we needed to interpret both the shahu' story but also her vision state um what oh, there was a moment paul in the you know to your question there was a moment in the preparations for, for doing that work the many kind of conversations that happened beforehand about um planning and in one of those planning calls i was asking kashka the chief Um, How is this going to be for the shaman when I placed this camera uh, in front of him? At that point, we were planning on filming the Yawanawa's very old shaman, Tata, who was nearly 100 years old. And they very much wanted Tata to be included in this work. So when you film in virtual reality... As a director, it's very different to other forms of filming because if you can imagine a camera, there's a sphere, that can see everything. So if I'm present in the scene, I will be visible to the camera, which means the the strangeness for someone that you're filming in virtual reality is that the camera is there in front of them but but no one else because they can't see me. Um, And so... I was asking the chief, how is this going to be for Tata, the shaman, when he has to just do his ceremony to this camera? Will that be okay? Because I imagine that generally when he's in ceremony, he has the person in front of him who he's doing his healing for, his ceremony for, and um, yet yeah, he's going to have to deliver to this camera and then send it out to us. And there was Absolute silence on the other end of the phone call. And when that happened, you know, I'm always aware that I had said something that's really inappropriate. And I, I don't yet know why it's inappropriate, but I'm going to find out. So I just waited through this sort of long pause. And then Tashka spoke and he said, oh, Lynette, when Tata goes into ceremony, he prays first. Uh, for the person in front of him. Then he prays for the community. Then he prays for the forest. Then he prays for you, for the holy world. He's always been praying for you. Maybe you never knew it. And it still impacts me and impacts me in this moment when I realized he was telling me something I didn't know, that the community in the Amazon feel connected to us, are aware of us, and hold ceremony for our healing, though we might live completely oblivious to the gift of that. And the benefit for me in meeting those people and knowing them is that now I know that. And I knew that last week, Hushahu, the shaman, was in ceremony, that she was taking medicines that sounded terrifying to me, new medicines or medicines that were different to the ones I'd seen her experience. And she was doing that on behalf of a global pandemic that was affecting everyone Far beyond the Amazon. So I have the great fortune of being connected to them and of knowing up close now that they are doing all they can in their method to try and support what's unfolding in the world.
1: Lynette, I can't thank you enough for taking my call. I wish we could speak for so much longer. I bid you farewell now, and I send you a huge hug.
0: And you too.
1: I can't wait to see you soon again.
0: Yeah,
1: It's really you too. Much really, love, Paul. It's been wonderful to spend this time with you. Thank you so yeah. much. Okay. Be well. Bye-bye.
0: Bye. To support this show and Love's progressive programming, go to dublab.com slash support.